0: Locale.
1: Local. So-ke- Local. Shock. Local.
0: cambiamento To hear. Girglette.
1: Zakula Ujaya. Change.
0: We, 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 we are. Welcome to the Slow Food Use Network podcast. Hello, guys. This is Valentina Gritti from the Slow Food Youth Network. You are listening to the third episode of the SPIN podcast about food sovereignty in Mexico. I visited this country last year and I took the opportunity to interview some people from the local Slow Food Network to hear their perspective regarding the topic of food sovereignty. The podcast is divided in three episodes and this is the last episode, so if you're curious and you didn't listen to the other episodes before, I invite you to do that. In this episode, we will listen to three enlightened chefs that with their work, they focus on supporting local production and seasonality. I'm talking about Claudia Ruiz Santi, Armando Cajero and Isaac Diaz. I am in San Cristobal de las Casas, in Chiapas, southern Mexican state, bordering Guatemala. Here I'm about to meet Claudia Ruiz Santi. She's a living example of how determination can really make your dreams come true. Claudia was born in an indigenous community in San Juan Chamula, and since she was a child, she wished to become a chef and manage her own restaurant. Her family, though, was a very conservative one, and they wouldn't allow her to be anything else but a teacher. Which was, in their opinion, a more appropriate profession for a woman. Despite that, Claudia managed to enroll in the Faculty of Gastronomy in Tuxra Gutierrez. I listened to this. In the moment in which she was working on her final thesis, the chef Enrique Olvera, founder of Pujol, which is in the list of the 50 best restaurants in the world, was visiting the university. He got to know Claudia, the old indigenous girl studying gastronomy in her class. And he knew he wanted her at his restaurant. So Claudia, straight after graduating, started her internship in Pujol, in Mexico City. She didn't have an easy life there. In fact, she had to struggle a lot because of her colleagues making fun of her for being an indigenous girl with such high ambitions. Nevertheless, the more people insulted her, the more Claudia knew she had to focus on her work and her goal open her own restaurant to redeem and valorize the traditional indigenous cuisine of her region. And now she's got it. Her dream restaurant, called Coconó.
2: At Coconó, we only use local ingredients
3: from the region of Chiapas. We have a lot of local ingredients here, but there's also a lot of them that you cannot find anymore. In some cases, you can find the original product, but they are produced in a different way. For this reason, with coconut we are trying to have farmers cultivate in the most traditional methods. In this way, we also make sure that we do not harm either our bodies or our planet. So we act sustainably both for humans and the earth that provides us with everything. At Kokono, we also have a garden where we cultivate some basic ingredients like lettuce, carrots or aromatic herbs and actually this year we got our first harvest of beans and corn this was in another space in a piece of land one hour away from uh, San Cristobal we can cultivate there and have our own harvest.
2: It's an hour San the St. Cristobal. It's a space in which they didn't have to rent to be able to have our own harvest. And um,
0: what are some of the products that it's really difficult to find for you? Okay, for example, in the rain
3: period, a tree comes out For example, in the rainy season, there is a mushroom called yuyo that usually comes out. Now it is difficult to find it because of climate change. I remember when we used to go to the mountains, it was very common to see the mushroom, but now it's so hard to find it. And the families were able to fill in many baskets full of this mushroom, which in that part of the year became sort of our staple food. Nowadays, the families are lucky if they can fill up half a basket. Some families are not even able to find any of these mushrooms.
0: Now I will ask Claudia if her community makes use of the Milpa system. The Milpa is a sustainable agricultural system traditionally used in Mexico, which combats the loss of biodiversity in rural areas thanks to the rich variety it incorporates. For this reason, it's also a powerful tool for the food sovereignty of the communities. Our sí, eh, nuestra base is la Milpa,
2: y obviously, as we know, es a un... Eh, Policultivo, in el cual, pues, obviamente obtenemos la mayoría de nuestros de
3: nuestros alimentos o de nuestros ingredientes principales para este, nuestro diario vivir. Our main cultivation system is the milpa, which is a polyculture. With that method, we can get the main ingredients for our daily diets. The main harvest, as you know, are beans and corn. Then you have the pumpkins and herbs like green edible weeds, which help us varying our food in different seasons of the year. So, for example, in the season of the milpa, we find some varieties, but in the cold season, we find abas, chicharos. All year long, we can get different products to survive. Another thing that we do is that in the season of harvest we make the beans and the corn dry out so that they can last all
2: year long. Before you
0: told me that um, there has been a change in cultivation and this is why you always look for the most traditional way to cultivate. How is this change? So, which type of cultivation is most common
2: now? medio pueblos originarios
3: tierra. For example, indigenous people used to have a huge respect for the earth. When our grandparents planted seeds, they always had to ask for permission. They made a ritual so that the earth, the sun and the rain, all these elements, would give them a good harvest. Now, these traditions are being lost. Now, they are using a lot of chemicals for the cultivation of these products. In the past, there used to be a single harvest per year. Now, they can have two or even three harvests. And this is obviously because of the use of chemicals that speed up the whole process. This gives us what people think is a better product, but actually it is indeed a quick product, but with way less nutrients. And the need of cultivating quickly and in way higher quantity is because of the increasing population in the cities. In fact, the food is not for the communities themselves, but they cultivate it to sustain the cities. A much bigger problem is that the government itself gives certain products for free in specific times of the year, and they give a certain quantity of chemicals to the families. This, on the one hand, made it possible to ease farm work. For example, people used to use some specific tools to remove weeds and prepare the soil. While now, they just spray chemicals and all the weeds are gone. This is what people like. But... At the same time we are doing harm to the earth to our bodies and we are decreasing the quality of our lives las consecuencias son de que obviamente
2: se está dañando la tierra se está dañando el cuerpo humano y al mismo tiempo empezamos a perder como cierta calidad
0: este de vida there is also um, kind of food aids that come from the government. Like, this food is not traditional food from here. And um, most of the times there are multinationals <laughs> that promote uh, the government to provide this food to people. Uh, have you seen it yourself? And uh, did you
2: see it also in your uh, community?
3: Yes, actually, in the same way that the government provides people with chemicals it also does with food aids for example in our communities the traditional way to make tortillas is with the process of nixtamalization What has been happening already for some years is that the government gives packages of maseca for free, which is an industrially processed flour from contaminated corn. People only need to add water to the flour and they can easily make tortillas. Also, in these food aids, there's canned food like soups, processed food, and there's soy everywhere. These are all foods that people didn't know at all, but now they are already used to cook with them. Them, and they became part of their diets. This brought a change in our food. In the past, our diet used to be mainly vegetarian, but now we eat much more meat. In addition to this, our traditional cooking methods were boiling, smoking, and roasting, but now the families use oil or grease. For most of the dishes because in these food aids they give you two liters of oil as well and people now know how to use it and they want to put oil in every dish. All this brought illnesses as a consequence. Some years ago, if you would look at a 60 year old person from the countryside compared to a 60 year old person from the city, you could clearly see a difference. A man from the city would have difficulties to live alone, he would have some side defects and have specific illnesses for his type of diet. While another man of the same age, but from the countryside, despite still being working the land and carrying heavy things, he would look like 40 or even 30 years old, thanks to his energy. This now has changed as well as a consequence of the changes in diet because of the government aids. The government thinks that they are beneficial for the communities, but it's all the opposite. The communities are losing their original diets, their traditions, and they're creating new habits. For this dietary change, also in the rural areas, Now, there is a lot of people with diabetes. So now more than ever, there is a need for indigenous communities to get back cultivating their crops as it used to be in the past, without all these chemicals. In this way, we could improve again our living standards. There are some people that start to be aware of that. They start questioning themselves. For example, our grandparents used to be aware of the cyclicity of the year, of the seasonality. They were the first ones to notice the changes. They knew what they called spring in the city was about to come to the fields in a few days. They didn't have any calendars or clocks. And they didn't know the exact dates and timing of the natural cycles. They just used, for example, the position of the sun as a measurement, if it was raising more to the north, to the south, or to the center. So, thanks to the sun, they knew in which month they were. Now, the ones that are still alive say that there has been a big change. There is rain in seasons in which it is not supposed to rain at all. The cold as well is so much more intense now that they do not recall anything similar in the past. Same thing with the heat. Now when they go to the fields, they feel that the sun is hurting them. This is because we have been damaging the ozone sphere. So all this makes them realize that we have to do something to get back what we've lost. We need to take care of the planet, of the Earth and of ourselves as well. In many indigenous families there are illnesses now that in the past we didn't even know they existed. Now people in the communities are starting to use glasses while in the past there were 90-year-old men and women that could recognize you from various kilometers away.
2: Y que ahora incluso hasta gente de la comunidad está empezando a usar lentes a temprana edad cuando anteriormente llegaban a los 90 años y eran señores, señoras que incluso te reconocían a varios kilómetros. What is food sovereignty for you? Creo que la soberanía, soberanía alimentaria es como la parte de poder defender. It's
3: the possibility to defend and keep on using our own ingredients and our traditional diet in an active way. So that in our houses we can still eat this delicious food.
0: So, do you see that your work with your restaurant and also the work of Slow Food here is having a positive
3: impact uh, with regards to food sovereignty? Yes, yes we do have an impact. We are making people conscious of what is happening. Every time we have contact with the producers, the people who come to eat at the restaurant, and even the working team, we talk to them about the way we are working and what we want to achieve with it. For example, the producer is going to think She is going to buy from me only if I cultivate in an organic way. The guest at the restaurant, when going back home, is going to say, Today I ate a very fresh meal, delicious, and prepared on the same day. If I eat this type of meal more often, my body and soul are going to benefit from it. At the same time, I am also having a positive impact on the planet. Our team of chefs is made of youths only. When they come to work for a coconut, They have this idea of eating fast food meals while working their shifts. As they receive healthy food with a lot of vegetables and mainly vegetarian, at the beginning they complain. But when you explain to them how this food was made and when you explain the reason for this choice, they become aware of it and they start to spread the word to other people.
2: Would you like to say
0: something to the youth of slow
2: food?
3: I think we are the generation that can bring huge changes if we start thinking of how our world is feeling. By the means of food, we can become united, all sharing the values of slow food and its main objectives. So I think that if we work together from the different places we are at, we can plant small seeds so that the people around us can become conscious as well. And together, we can rescue our world. Also, we need to work to preserve our traditional ingredients and dishes, and to communicate it and share it with the world. Do not forget that regardless your age sex economical situation it is never impossible you can always make your dream come true as long as you know where you want to go and until which point you want to move on so the dreams are going to be there as long as you do not put limits on yourself.
0: Wow, that was so interesting. Claudia shared with us so many insights about the relation between indigenous communities and food sovereignty. From the dietary changes to the food aids, urbanization, climate change, to the appearance of new forms of illnesses in our people. From the support of local production, thanks to her work at Kokono, to the importance of education for food sovereignty and healthy eating. you enjoyed the first interview of this episode of the podcast food sovereignty in mexico and now we go to cholula in puebla and we go to a very special restaurant i'm talking about Nan. as you enter to this place you can see a rustic design showcasing different varieties of native corn as well as wild plants armando the chef He's cooking for us a tasting dinner made of 9 different courses mmm, looking forward to that He's gonna use some elements of the traditional Mexican cuisine and then he's gonna twist them around and turn them into something completely unexpected Salad with ice cream, dessert with insect. I think we really are gonna try something special But why am I interviewing this chef in particular? because Armando Cajero gets all his ingredients locally. First of all, he's a forager, so he is the one that picks wild mushrooms and plants for his own restaurant. He also has a network of local farmers from which he buys personally all the ingredients for his cuisine. What is food sovereignty for a chef like this? Let's ask Armando directly. Cultura? Culture? Why?
1: por todo lo que realmente representa como país for all that it represents as a country food sovereignty is what identifies us as Mexicans together with everything that surrounds us
0: and in your work at your restaurant how do you deal with food sovereignty
1: me relaciono apoyando al al consumo local I deal with it in the sense that I promote local consumption. I know I am 100% responsible for what I'm doing and this has an impact on the producers I'm directly working with.
0: So you are in direct contact with the producers, aren't you?
1: Yes, I consider myself lucky because I can travel in Puebla and sometimes also to other Mexican states where I meet the producers and I really work hand in hand with them.
0: Have you noticed the disappearance of any particular products in your region?
1: Yes, I'm seeing it a lot, especially in the forest and in the Mixteca. We are losing biodiversity because people are not giving the right value to it. The new generations are not making good use of the products from the forest. They throw them away. So, what I'm trying to do is to rescue them.
0: So, do you think that by the work you're doing at your restaurant, you can save these products?
2: Uh, sí, de
1: yes, we can say it like that. That we're trying to save them. It's difficult to say actually because it is a very hard job making people understand the uniqueness of what they have. Teach them how they can use them and also that they can prepare them in another perspective as we do in the restaurant. And more than that, we're teaching people that live in the city that they are such products surrounding us and of which most of them don't even know about their existence. Entonces, por esa
2: parte, Enseñar
0: a do you think education is important to achieve food sovereignty?
1: Sí, Indeed. I think it's very important to teach youth that they are at the beginning of their lives, that these products are part of their cuisine.
0: Thank you, Armando. For now, let's get back to San Cristobal. Like Armando, also Isaac Diaz uses a lot of creativity in his work. I decided to explore the new Culinary hipster trends in the city, and to look at how people in this business relate with local ingredients and with food sovereignty, of course. While walking in the city center, I bumped into a cozy food court where I met Isaac and I saw his homemade sausages. Isaac has just opened a super cute artisanal shop called La Charco and is the artisan chef. He makes a dozen different types of sausages flavored with various spices and in many shapes. Even though sausages are not so typical in Mexican gastronomy, Isaac says that people are keen to try this new taste. So how has Isaac decided to start his business? And are his thoughts in line with slow food? Let's listen to him. Hello everyone. So, I am in San Cristobal de las Casas in Chiapas, Mexico. And I'm here with uh, Isaac Diaz, uh, who just opened a sausage uh, artisanal uh, place in the city. And now he's going to tell us something about uh, food sovereignty, his opinion, and how it's related with his business.
4: Yeah. Hello. I'm, I'm from Mexico City. I live here in San Cristobal. I used to be a filmmaker. Well, I still... Do something about, but uh, for because of my 40s crisis, I decided to cook to make uh, sausages and charcuteria. The business has uh, six months only, but I've been like doing research, like for uh, two years now.
0: And if I tell you food sovereignty, what is the first thing that comes to your mind?
4: Uh, Milpa. And this system that uh, people from the countryside here in Mexico have for sustainability, for you, you have like the basic food that you need for all year in your backyard in a not very large space. And it's a, like a thing that has been around for a lot of years and maybe it started, uh, it's been starting to uh, disappear.
0: And uh, is it still present here in the area of San Cristobal?
4: Yeah, uh, around San Cristobal we have a lot of uh, little towns, village, uh, well, countryside. And uh, yeah, they still have the, the Milpa there. Mm, I mean, yeah, a lot of people, are, young people, are starting to go. Well, not starting, uh, since a long time ago. So th- those people maybe... They stop doing it, uh, but yeah, the, the parents that stay or the people that stay, I think they still have the milk
0: And as for your business, uh, is it easy to get local ingredients?
4: Yeah, the, most of the ingredients are uh, easy to find because we have a lot of uh, vegetables around so, and spices maybe, well, spices not. Every every spice, but a lot of them we have we have it here. So yeah, some most of the ingredients are easy to find around San Cristóbal.
0: And what about the meat that you use for your sausages?
4: The the meat comes from uh, from local uh, butchers here in uh, a neighborhood called uh, Cuesta They are like they they dedicate to pigs. So yeah, we have them from. From those, I mean, they they bring them from another places of Chiapas, you know. Maybe they don't have, not everybody have their own pigs here, but they don't travel a lot, and it's uh, really fresh meat because it had never. It's the pork of the day. That's what we we use here for making. So it sounds a little bit uh, bad, uh, rude, but that, that's. A, that's the way
0: (laughs) I like it the pork of the day (laughs) and uh, is it easy to find uh, organic pigs or free-range
4: pigs you can find it them uh, well you can find the meat but uh, it's uh, really expensive and you can find it in like in only one place you can search it for but you have to bring it from far away no from from here from san cristobal but here in san cristobal there's i i know one one guy but uh, it's it's good if you it's for you and for your family maybe and you have a little bit more money but if you want to sell but the price goes really high uh, so the people can't afford uh, to pay uh, uh, that kind of, maybe only tourists, no.
0: So this place is really touristic. So do you see a big difference uh, in price of things that are for tourists and for local people? And how is it with your business?
4: Yeah, well, there are like two things. One is the price and other is the, like, in the culture. So many people will not go to a tourist place. Maybe they can afford it, but they don't. Uh, they, may, I don't know. They, they just don't go. Maybe they're, they're not attracted to that kind of food, or they don't feel uh, like uh, like uh, comfortable to be there. I don't know. Uh, that's one. And yeah, and, and the prices in San Cristobal are not too high, even for people from Mexico. Maybe for San Cristobal, yes, <laughs> a little bit more, but. Uh, but, yeah, when I say tourists, it's for tourists from Mexico and from other parts of the world. And here, we, well, here in our business, well, we we are trying to make, uh, I, I think the prices are around for uh, a, a lot more people. Uh, maybe not for everybody, but, yeah, are more affordable. And well i'm trying to make the people from here from San Cristobal, uh, try to co- to conven- convince them to come and taste because when they taste the product they like it but because they uh, like uh, because they don't know it they they like uh, a little bit shy about different things
0: Yeah, so education is also an important part of food sovereignty in this sense. And um, you were telling me before uh, also that people here tend to prefer to buy meat from supermarkets because they think that it's more hygienic than from other local producers. Can you tell me something more about this?
4: Yeah, I I think uh, people from... uh, that live here in San Cristobal, but are from outside San Cristobal, from other parts of Mexico and other parts of the world. Yeah, they, they try to they to buy like meat, for example, more in supermarkets. They I think they have uh, an idea of that things from uh, these large uh, stores uh, are more I uh, I have more hygiene. Uh, and they don't know that maybe the meat they buy there has traveled a lot and has been freezed already and they don't know that if you buy it here it's also very clean not clean like a, a movie butcher's room i don't know how to say it but but it's but everybody eat uh, i mean the people that lives here we eat that and we don't get sick and it's uh, fresh meat and you, it's not been freezed So yeah, it's an idea that the supermarkets have more uh, hygiene, I don't know why.
0: And you also sell vegan sausages. In that case, uh, is it more a request from tourists or also from local people? And the ingredients for those sausages, do you get them all in this area or do you have to import them?
4: Well, that's uh, funny because uh, for vegan sausages, uh, we have to import more things than for meat sausages. The sausages are for people living here, but not for San Cristobal people more from people that come from other places and are going vegan but yeah we have to import more uh, products because we have to import seaweeds and casings that we don't have here some things we don't have in Mexico even so it's more it's kind of more difficult to to make them yeah for the vegans yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you so much i personally think this interview was super useful to have an outside perspective from the straw food bubble For example, it was interesting to know, on the one hand, that people don't always trust buying food outside supermarkets because of safety risks, and on the other hand, there are some struggles in finding sustainable local meat for an affordable price. After one month in Mexico, I had the chance to better understand different sides of the local food system. I understood, first of all, that humans, and especially the ones connected with slow food, have a strong sense of resilience and they really have an impact on the nature that surrounds them. Look at the case of the Presidium of Chuntalpa, for example. It was born after a flood. And actually, the flood itself was the reason for the cacao farmers to change their production into one of better quality. Look at how Santiago, our young farmer, takes care of his seeds to promote biodiversity as much as possible at his farm. And so make the consumers even happier with a broader offer. And the chefs Claudia and Armando, as a response to seeing their local food habits and varieties disappearing, are now pushing the local farmers to produce sustainably in a traditional way and with native products, so that they can use them at their restaurants. By doing so, they positively affect the environment that surrounds them. It is not always easy though, as Isaac reminded us, to get local, sustainable, tasty food for a good price and there are some safety issues to be considered as well. Thanks to the interviews of Laritza and Claudia, I understood that sometimes governments yield to the pressure of food industries and they act to fill bellies with cheap, Junk food, which is not related to the local culture, and on the long term, it causes severe health issues to the people that benefit from it. As a reaction, grassroots movements such as Slow Food are the ones that are trying to restore these broken pieces. They do care for the people because they are the people themselves. As Vinic reminded us, being part of a network can empower you to make a change. Food sovereignty is the right to have access to your local traditional food, to a biodiverse and healthy meal, its knowledge and education, as well as political choice against corporate driven food system. Food sovereignty is the right to a type of food that tastes good because it's fresh, it's local and nutritious. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and contacts. And remember to follow the Slow Food Youth Network on our social media.